We invite you to turn with me again in your copy of God's Word to the New Testament. Uh, Our text this morning is Matthew uh, chapter 15. You can find this on page uh, 820 of your pew Bible, page 820. Uh, We're in Matthew 15, uh, verses uh, 1 to 20. We've last couple weeks seen uh, some of the great miracles that Jesus performed, uh, walking on water and feeding 5,000. Apparently this uh, provoked some inquiry uh, on behalf of the spiritual authorities in Jerusalem. And they come out to check on who this guy is uh, who's doing these things. And uh, they are particularly upset uh, about something very, very small that his disciples are doing. Uh, Somehow they're blind to the miracles but they have exacting sight into the little details of their religious uh, observances. Uh, We're going to see this morning the difference between traditions and commandments. We're going to consider most importantly how through these things we see our need for Jesus and how he covers us and all of our sin uh, by his shed blood. So Matthew chapter 15, would you follow along with me uh, in verses 1 to 20. Then Pharisees and and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the very sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart Is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God uh, will stand forever. Would you join me in prayer? Our Lord, it is easy for us to read this passage and point to all those other people and all of their other traditions and everything that they are doing wrong. 
And I pray in the next few minutes that you would hold a mirror before our eyes and you would reveal where we are guilty of hypocrisy. You would reveal where we have elevated our own man-made traditions above God-given commandments. And most importantly, O God, that you would reveal to us the wrong ways that we are seeking to be right before you. And you would hold before our very eyes, not that mirror, hopefully smashed at our feet, but you would hold before our very eyes, Christ, our Savior, in his glory, in his grace, in his perfection. So we would leave today not looking at ourselves, but looking to him and trusting in him and all that we do. We ask this in his most precious and powerful name. Amen. One of the most beautiful views in uh, Asheville uh, is when you're driving, I think, on 240 and you come from the east part of town and you're headed towards downtown and you come through what I know some people call the cut, right, where that mountain has been cut away so that 240 can, can go through and you come around the corner and if you come around sunset, you see this glorious view of the mountains, right? Some of you made that drive uh, this morning. It wasn't that pretty this morning, but if you come in the evening, you can uh, maybe see the sunset. You can see Mount Pisgah, right? You can see this beautiful mountain range. And then you see a big hotel. (laughs) And then you see another big hotel. Uh, And I know from some of you that have lived here longer than I have that it used to be more beautiful than it is now. Uh, And It is worse now than it was when I got here seven years ago. There's just more and more hotels. And this beautiful view, this grand sort of vista of Western North Carolina is just a series of ugly hotels. And those hotels, this isn't a diatribe against hotels, right? But they block from us. They blind us to the beauty, to the glory of that view, right? In the same way Jesus tells us, there are things, practices, events, traditions in our lives that can blind us from the gospel of Jesus. And I want you to see in our text this morning how dangerous those traditions can be. That instead of a full view bowing at the feet of our glorious Savior, We get a bunch of ugly traditions standing in our way. Now, I think traditions are a good thing. I think Jesus thinks traditions are a good thing. There are good traditions and there are bad traditions, right? There are traditions that point us to Jesus and traditions, practices, patterns, routines that take us away from him. So our word, I think, from him is simple and clear today. Beware of traditions that can blind you to the gospel. Beware of traditions that can blind you to the gospel. As we think about what traditions can do to us, let me share a quote I came across a few years ago uh, about this idea. The quote is comparing traditions to what the author calls traditionalism. We know sort of isms aren't good, right? (laughs) When traditions kind of take over. Uh, He writes, tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. What does he mean by that? 
Traditions are the living faith of the dead. It is those who have gone before us who have had an active living faith and they have passed on that faith to us. We stand today on the, the shoulders of giants. Right? The faithful men and women who have gone before us, they pass along traditions to us through which our faith flows and is kindled. Right? Traditionalism, however, is the dead faith of the living. It's people that have no faith and only have their traditions. Jesus has a word for that. It's void or empty. Looks like it's there on the outside. It's not there on the inside. Traditions are not wrong because tradition is the living faith of the dead. But traditionalism, we must be wary of. It is the dead faith of the living. So let me show you how traditionalism blinds us. Let me show you these four hotels <laughs> that stand in your way from seeing the grace of Jesus. First, traditionalism blinds us to the reality of sin. This is in verses 2 to 6. Traditionalism blinds us to the reality of sin. So let's start here. What is our deepest problem? The Bible tells us, from Genesis 3 and onward, we stand as an unholy people before a holy God. Everything that comes with that. That's our, our deepest problem. We can mask it around each other. We can act good and, and fine around each other. But before a holy, just, and righteous God, we stand like Adam and Eve, naked, unclothed, unholy, terrified. The way this comes about in Jesus' ministry is that his disciples apparently are not washing their hands when they eat. Is that the worst problem that they were facing? Unclean hands when we eat. It seems to be, uh, in the mind of the Pharisees, maybe the worst problem that they have. Now, I'm sure you're thinking to yourself, well, it's pretty gross not to wash your hands before you eat, right? Uh, it's, a good, uh, it's good hygiene to wash your hands. We're dealing with something uh, much deeper. We're dealing with a ceremonial cleanness or uncleanness. What happens here? Verse two, uh, the, I'm sorry, verse one, Pharisees and, and scribes come to Jesus from Jerusalem. So they've heard about him. They've heard about the guy that feeds the 5,000 people. They've heard about the guy that walks on water. But all they seem to care about is his disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. We talk about straining a gnat, right? I mean, they have no clue. They care nothing for what Jesus is doing. They send the officials to go check out this guy who's working up there in Galilee, right? This is like the manager comes at work, right? You're on the job site. The general contractor shows up. Uh, this is corporate, has come to your office to check in uh, on what you're doing. And they accuse them of not washing their hands. Washing of hands is a ceremonial ritual prescribed by God in the Old Testament, particularly for the priests. The tradition that has been built around it, man's tradition, the tradition of the elders, verse 2, is that it's not just the priest, it's every Jewish man and woman needs to wash their hands, ceremonially wash their hands. And so what begins as a commandment is added to it, the traditions of man, and it spreads such that these disciples are not guilty of breaking God's commandments, they're simply guilty of breaking man-made traditions, which infuriates and upsets 
makers of those man-made traditions, right? The Pharisees and the scribes. They ask this question in verse 2. I think we know enough about them by now that this is not an innocent question. This is an accusation, and Jesus responds in kind. Uh, He responds in verse 3. He counters to them, you break the commandments of God. You see how clearly it is in those two verses. The traditions of the elders on one hand versus the commandments of God on the other. Jesus says, you're so focused on the traditions that you break God's commandments in order to keep your own tradition. That's how bad it is amongst you Pharisees. Verses four to six, he gives this example uh, for us. Uh, The example is what happens. This is just one example of elevating commandments. I'm sorry, traditions above commandments. Just imagine that your parents are aging. And what does the Bible command you to do? Well, the answer is honor your father and mother. That's what the law says. But the tradition of the elders, it gives you a little loophole here. I don't know if you picked up on that. Uh, The loophole is in verse 5. But you say, if anyone tells his father and mother, what would have been gained for me is given to God. Quote, I mean, you could put italics around that, given to God, right? This is a phrase that they would use for something that is particularly set aside and designated for the church. So somebody says, Mom and Dad, I know you need some money right now, but I've actually given that money to God. Look how wonderful I am. I'm sorry I can't, I can't help you with it. It is given over to God. And oh, by the way, I'm probably going to get a little kickback from that later on, right? It's sort of like saying I can't help you because I need to make a tax-deductible gift to the church and get some money right back in my own pocket. Jesus sees this for what it is. He tells them that they are not honoring their father and mother. You know, that, that's an actual commandment. That's not a tradition. It's an actual commandment. It's the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments. It's one of the big ones, right? And so they are violating the fifth commandment. They are, to use his words, they are making it void. In verse 6, you have made void the word of God. That word void means empty. You're emptying the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Now, take a step back and think about this for a moment. Is the tradition to give money to the temple a good tradition? Yeah. Seems like that's a good thing, right? Donate money, give it over to God. Is that a good tradition if it is elevated above the word of God? Well, no. Then all of a sudden, it becomes an empty, a void tradition. Every tradition does not make God's word void. But every tradition can make God's word void empty if we elevate it above his commandments you've heard the phrase addition by subtraction right a group of people having trouble getting along one person is taken away you think oh less people is bad well actually they're taken away it's like addition right the group gets along better right addition by subtraction this is the other way around this is subtraction by addition you've got god's law and then you add to it the traditions oh this should be great more rules to follow it actually makes it worse You're subtracting, you're taking away the commandments by elevating the traditions. I believe Jesus goes on this elaborate explanation and example to make a simple point for us. That is that we would see sin for what it is. Sin is breaking God's law. Sin is breaking the law of God. We need to see the reality of sin for what it is. It's not a mistake. 
It's not a bad word that slipped out. It's not a lack of self-control for a moment. Sin is breaking God's law and it has plagued humanity since the Garden of Eden. The first sin was what? Breaking God's law. It was doing the very thing that God commanded Eve and Adam not to do. We're blind to this, though, by our own traditions. We, just, we need to escape traditionalism and see sin for what it really is, is breaking the very word and commands and law of God. The problem here is that when we miss the reality of sin, we are sure to miss what comes next. Let me show you the next object that traditionalism blinds us to. Blinds us to the result of sin. Blinds us to the result of sin. What is the result of sin unacknowledged, unchecked, unrepented over, and unforgiven in our lives? Jesus has a word for it. Verse 7, hypocrisy. You hypocrites. What is he calling them when he's calling them a hypocrite? Well, he's calling them pretenders. He's calling them, it's a word that's actually used for actors. It means uh, wearing a mask. Actors wearing a mask, right? That's what hypocrisy is. It is one thing behind the mask and something else on the other side of the mask, right? The mask says we're someone It's different from who we really are. He quotes uh, Isaiah. This quote's from Isaiah 29. Uh, It's when Israel is scared and afraid. And what they do is they make an alliance with a foreign nation to come and protect them and don't trust God to protect them. And they use pious language to explain it. So they look holy. God calls them hypocrites. But I want you to note particularly where, what's the context of hypocrisy here? Because the context of wearing a mask before someone else is in the relationship, not between you and me, it's the relationship between them and God. You see the quote? The relationship from Isaiah 29 is between man and God, and God says hypocrisy is a relationship with God that is distant and that is empty. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Right? You've had that conversation with someone, and they're talking to you, and their, their words coming out of their mouth, and their mind is somewhere else, right? They've got that look. I mean, you know it. They are out, they are out in space right now. They don't care. They're just using, they're just sort of humoring you with their words, and they can't get away fast enough. This is God's description of, of the very people that bear his name. They're using the right words, but their heart is somewhere else. Where is their heart? Their heart is saying, oh God, we love you. Here's some money. Where Their heart is, man, I got to get some of that money back and hope mom and dad don't get it, right? Pious words, pious actions that just cover greed in their hearts. J.C. Ryle describes it this way. Hypocrisy is when we attach great importance to mere outward things. The second problem in this relationship with God, it's not only distant, it is empty. Verse 9, in vain, there's that word again, do they worship me, teaching as doctrines 
the commandments of men. Their worship is vain. Their worship is empty. Their worship is powerless. Just picture for a moment the type of God the Pharisees are presenting to the world. It's a God who only cares about the outside. It's a God that only cares that they use the right words and they go through the right rituals. It's a God that cares nothing for their heart. What kind of relationship is this? What kind of God is this? What, what, what God do we want to worship that cares nothing for our hearts, only that we mouth the right words and we stand up and sit down at the right times and we go through the right ceremonies? It's emptiness. It's nothing. It's, it's void. It is vain. Instead, God tells us what he does look for, and this is from Psalm 51. King David writes, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. God is not impressed with showy actions. Uh, He is not impressed with big words. God looks upon the heart, the broken heart that comes to him and cries to him in faith. I think my, my favorite uh, line from this passage, and we're going to s- skip ahead for a second, and then we'll come back, is when the disciples come up to Jesus, uh, and they say in verse 12, do you know the Pharisees are offended by what you're saying? <laughs> Don't you love that? Uh, yeah, guys, that's the point, right? That's the point. Uh, the Pharisees are finally listening to Jesus, it seems like. God does not look kindly on the hypocrite. God does not care about your mask. It might work on your spouse. It might work on your kids. It might work on your parents. It might work on your elders. It might work on your pastor. God does not care about your mask. God sees the heart. This is the result of sin. And we are blind to it by our traditions. See, the issue is not how we look on the outside. The issue is the heart. That's where Jesus takes us next in verses 10 through 19. We see thirdly what traditionalism blinds us to. It's the root of sin. The root of sin. If our biggest problem is that we stand as unholy people before a holy God, that's what God tells us, then what is it that makes us unholy? What is it that defiles us, to use the words here? What is it that makes us unclean before God? There's two different answers. The Pharisees have an answer and Jesus has an answer. And the Pharisee answer as to what makes us unclean before God is that which goes into the body or that which is external. It's the outside stuff. That makes us unclean before God. And to answer them, Jesus gives in verse 17, almost like a little biology lesson here, right? (laughs) Uh, He says, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? Uh, That's sort of in the Greek. It's sort of it's sort of crass like it is in the English. Right. Like, do you guys really have no idea like what how food works? It goes in and it comes out. Right. That's it. Food in waste out. Why is it so hard for you to understand? He asked. Now, I rarely want to do this, but let's give the, the Pharisees the benefit of the doubt for a moment here. Right. And they live in a world in which the Old Testament is full of all of these descriptions of external cleanliness, right? I mean, they've read the book of Leviticus. You've read the book of Leviticus. You know it's all about this external stuff. 
Right? It's all about what makes us clean or unclean on the outside. What are the external sort of rituals of cleaning that we need to go through? So we can excuse them for a moment for thinking, but Jesus, isn't it all about the outside? The problem is when they think that, when we think that, we have missed the entire point of all of the Old Testament. <laughs> Because all that stuff on the outside is designed from day one to point us to the inside. It is designed from the moment all of those ceremonies are enacted to teach us, yes, you are unclean externally, but your bigger problem, your deeper problem, is that you are unclean on the inside. You see, what's Jesus' answer to the question, what makes us unclean before a holy God? His answer that which comes out of the mouth. Not what goes in, but that which comes out of the mouth. And here he gets away from the stomach and he goes to the image of the heart. Because he answers the very simple question, where does your sin come from? The answer is, it comes from your heart. It comes from your heart. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? What comes out of the heart? Jesus says in verse 19. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Did you catch all that? Those of you kids who have been working to memorize the Ten Commandments, did you see how many commandments were broken in in there? We've already covered uh, Fifth Commandment. We've got sixth, we've got the seventh, we've got the eighth, we've got the ninth, right? All these commandments uh, Jesus is showing us are broken. But where does that begin? It comes out of the heart. Sometimes we think of the Ten Commandments as sort of a rule to structure how society works. Well, maybe, but more importantly, the Ten Commandments show us about our own hearts. They're like a mirror that show us what's in our hearts uh, more than anything else. The problem is not out there. The problem is in here. This is the opposite of the advice that you might hear today that says, just follow your heart. Where would Jesus say following your heart will take you? (laughs) To not a very good place. We moved uh, to Asheville. I've told some of y'all this before. Uh, We bought a house that had a well. We thought this is going to be so cool. We have well water. It's going to be fresh and clean. We don't have to worry about city water that, as you all know, comes on and off, right? Last couple of weeks. Doesn't have all these chemicals in it. This is going to, be, well, going to be awesome. But soon we found out that well water, at least in our neighborhood, isn't all it promises to be because our well water is disgusting. <laughs> it's full of iron. It has to go through this very expensive treatment process in our basement uh, that I have to keep all these filters up and running. If we don't do it, you can't even taste the water. I mean, you can't even swallow the water. It's so gross. Right? It stains our, everything it touches. <laughs> that water reminds me of what comes out of our hearts. <laughs> it's not pure. It's not sort of affected by the thing we watched or some bad words that we learned or some stray evil thoughts. No, it's all right here. Jesus tells us this. We know it. But traditions blind us to the root of our sin. We can cover it up. We can use fancy language. You know, when somebody confronts you about sin, that's hard to hear, isn't it? That's really hard. Even if they do it really well, it is hard to hear. 
And I'm not great at it. I'm going to tell you the truth. (laughs) I'm, I'm learning. I'm hoping to grow in receiving that type of confrontation. But you know what we can say to somebody when they say, you know, it seemed like you did this for this sinful reason or that sinful reason. We can look at them and say, yeah, you're right. You know what else? It's a lot worse than you think. That well goes a lot deeper than you think. Now, that doesn't mean that God's spirit is not at work in his people. It doesn't mean that he is putting in us good and godly motives to bear the fruit of good work in our lives. Praise God that he does that. But he has to overcome a whole lot that comes out of our natural fallen hearts. Here's the payoff. Here's the Here's the biggest danger. Here's the the biggest truth that we are blind to. Because if we deny the root of our sin, we will never get to the remedy for our sin. That's what I want you to see finally in our text. We just see this really almost just alluded to in verse 20, the remedy of our sin. If your problem is just physical and external then so is the solution, right? If your problem is just you got your hands dirty, the answer is easy. Wash your hands and then you're good, right? It sounds easy, right? It seems like a pretty easy religion. If all that's wrong with me is on the outside, I just clean up the outside and I'm good to go. A couple of problems with that. Number one, it's actually not so easy. The people under the teaching of the Pharisees and the scribes in Jesus' day were crushed by the law. They're crushed by it. So many rules, right? The Bible itself has enough rules. And then we add the, the hundreds, literally hundreds of extra man-made rules around it. The only people that could keep it were like the top tier expert Pharisees. Everybody else is crushed under the weight of the law. It sounds easy, but it doesn't work. Have you ever tried to make yourself righteous by just obeying God's law just this week? I'll give you an hour. I'll give you a minute and see how well it goes, Right? But even worse than that, the problem is it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Imagine you go to your doctor and he tells you that you are suffering from something terrible. Something's happened in your heart. You have a a tumor on your brain, but he tells you there's good news. There's a solution. Just go home and wash your hands. Just keep washing your hands and you'll be fine. Of course not. It doesn't work. The external solution does not work because our uncleanness, our defilement, our unholiness before a holy God goes to our very core. Internally, we are unclean. We are unworthy. And we are unacceptable to a holy and righteous God. You know the feeling of shame all of us know what shame is. Right? Shame is that feeling that not only have we done something wrong, but other people know about it. That's the worst, right? Other people know about it. And then we add guilt to it. Guilt is that God knows about it. And God judges us for our sin. And Jesus, in so many words, tells us, washing your hands will never deal with your shame. It will never deal with your guilt. There's a whole lot of bad news in these verses, a whole lot of truth about the problem of sin, but there is a remedy. And there is the promise of the gospel 
that Jesus can wash away what water never can. Jesus washes away the shame. He washes away the guilt. He washes away the punishment. He washes away the condemnation. He washes away the stain. He leaves us pure and holy in his sight. David says in Psalm 51, Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. It's a man guilty of adultery and murder when he says this. We read in Titus 3, He saved us by the washing of regeneration. 2 Corinthians 6, Paul gives a list of some of the most defiling sins in Scripture. And then he follows that up by saying, You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Y'all, no ritual can do this. No tradition can do this. It is powerless. It is worthless. It is deceptive. Jesus alone cleanses us by the shed blood of his cross. That alone takes away our shame. That alone removes our guilt. And if we are oblivious to the root of sin, we will never see and we will never trust. We will never receive the remedy of sin, the blood of Jesus. Everyone has traditions. Some of them lead us to see Jesus better. Many of them lead us away from him and blind us to his gospel. So we end here. Don't be blind to this promise. Jesus washes sinners clean. Christ saves and Christ alone. Let's pray. Lord, give us faith today to come and trust in Jesus. You know that with the weight of your law, many of us even now are feeling that shame and that guilt. Somebody knows what's wrong with me. God judges me and I can never make it right. Lord, you know we're tempted to leave this place and just try harder and do more. Wash our hands again and eat the right food and all of that nonsense. Lord, grant us by your endless grace and mercy the faith to lay hold of the promises of Jesus today and to believe that such unclean and defiled sinners like us are found beloved and accepted in your sight through the cleansing power of the cross. Give us that faith that we would receive and rest and rejoice in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with a song, a hymn of rejoicing, uh, a hymn that cleansed and forgiven.